there's a type of turning point in the path. And it happens when we see that the ways that we've been trying to cope with the human situation of meeting uh, change and difficulty and everything from aging and death to not getting what we want. That our way of coping is clearly inadequate. And there's a sense of a turning from habit patterns that just keep trying to spin in the same old ways and bumping and bumping and bumping and recognizing that we don't have to do that and sensing into not just the negative side, but the positive side, that in addition to stopping the ridiculousness, the the pain of this approach that is now appearing uh, unworkable, there's the beauty of a way that feels open and free. And this can be as simple as, let's say, giving up some kind of addiction, whether it's cigarettes or alcohol and finding our place in the world without that. And say, I was bound and in this way, now I'm free. And not only am I unbound from that, like I don't have to go buy the alcohol and hurt everybody around me when I get drunk, but I can also live a life that is untortured and has a certain beauty to it that I didn't see before. But this turning point has certain features that just get more subtle. It doesn't just happen once. It can happen in relationship to many different addictions. And it can happen uh, as a result of external circumstances forcing our hand, like getting arrested for drunk driving or maybe killing someone when we were intoxicated. Or it could be somehow something gets through to us. Either we meet someone who helps us see what we couldn't see before or through some kind of deep introspection we see what we couldn't see before. We see the torture of our prior way of approaching life's pain. Perhaps we touch something of the open space and we're pulled, we move. It can happen 
many times in many ways. The fundamental, you might say schematic, way of looking at this that the Buddha spoke of is that the dilemma that we're trying to solve is this dilemma of suffering that just comes with being a sensitive being and this powerful constructing mind in a life where things are out of control. We are sensitive, we are hurt, we are attaching to things, and that that cycle just goes on forever as long as we try to feed everything within that system that it would feel like the organism has to have to be happy. It has to get all these pleasures and so on because we don't see on the other side the higher pleasure, the subtle pleasure. And that schematic is there's the suffering and the hunger within it and the constant blindness to it, the second noble truth, the arising, the arising of this suffering, the origin, and the third piece of the schematic is this understanding of the possibility of not following that pattern, that cessation of the whole landscape of suffering and all the structures that seem to hold it in place, that's actually possible. It would seem like that's not possible because it seems so built in to this organismic life that it has to be that way. I have to stay addicted to the senses, to the pleasures, to the intellectual attachments, to the social attachments. It's the only way that life can have any kind of pleasure. It's the only way I can survive. But this other view, this third noble truth of this turning that a life is possible outside of that constant storm. And then, of course, the fourth noble truth of how, how this happens. So in, when we talk about wisdom, we're talking in a broad sense about understanding the human dilemma. the dilemma of being born into a body, the dilemma of being born with this mind and heart and these emotions and this way we accumulate through our lives a history, personality, character, the subtlety of the genetics, the subtlety of the psychology, understanding that there's a certain structural nature to this dilemma. The structure of the organism and how it functions in the world, this is part of the dilemma, right? This is what keeps us going, this incredible sensitivity. 
and the hungers that are part of that. So, when we touch that kind of turning from being blind to some layer of our addictions and self-obsession and turn towards a life that is not addicted in that particular way, that's a kind of suffering and end of suffering turning. The occurrence of that is a kind of a in Buddhist language, it's entering the stream towards what is technically called stream entry, which is to say that kind of turning, when you can feel that difference between blindness and clear seeing, when you can feel the difference between being pulled by frantically trying to feed something and say, it's not going to work, that moment, it's not going to work. And the heart turns towards the release of the addiction rather than trying to fill it. That turning is a kind of entering into a stream and it just gets more and more subtle. The classical stream entry where one directly perceives the rise and fall of phenomena of the world and sees at the deepest existential, you might say, level, none of it is going to lead to happiness. (laughs) Even the most subtle grasping is going to lead to more grasping and even the most subtle wanting is always going to be off balance. And there's a release because you've touched something outside of that system. At, at the most subtle level the mind can know, the level of the world building. But it's the same basic move. It's the same basic move from obscuration to clear seeing, you might say. From ignorance to wisdom, from slavery to freedom. Same move, but you might say more subtle and in some sense, as the more subtle layers reveal themselves, the more subtle layers of attachment And there's more subtle layers of freedom that come about as we turn towards release rather than grabbing. There's also a kind of a thoroughness of it. 
by being more fine. There's, you might say, a certain quantity of letting go. There's more stuff, more of one's self-making activities, more of one's possessions and desires. But it's the same move. I can't emphasize this enough because what that means is that what we taste, even in a moment of release, whether it's on retreat or it's some moment in our lives when suffering leads to clarity because we've really turned towards it and come to understand it, those moments are, have, as they say, the taste of salt, just like the rest of the sea taste of freedom. We can see then that there's a connection between wisdom and freedom. And it's not one thing. The more subtle wisdom, the more subtle touching of a more subtle freedom but you can taste the wisdom, genuine panya, genuine wisdom, at so many levels. And you can taste the freedom at so many levels. And we would do ourselves a terrible disservice by not recognizing that fragrance, that taste. because that's a beacon by which we orient. The decisions that we make, the ways we live, are guided by those experiences, by that understanding, by that felt sense of this leads to more suffering, this leads to joy and freedom and human goodness. It leads to a way of manifesting in the world that presents to the world as human decency. And at its more subtle levels, you know, wow, a real resource, a profound resource for guidance and so on. So we look at this and we say, okay, wow. I have touched that. We acknowledge that we've touched it. We don't look away from the fact that something in us actually does touch this essential aspect of wisdom. We can be humble and say, there's a lot that I haven't touched. There's a lot I don't know. There's a lot I haven't seen. My mind maybe is still pretty attached or just too noisy to see under the surface. But to acknowledge what we have touched 
and to let that guide us to not look away from it. I can guarantee you, I'll put this in writing if you like, that the mind states that you have attained to on this retreat will fade. It's just going to happen. Even though you're doing talking and relating while you're on retreat, it's still a highly constructed, specific situation with a lot of protection so that you can have unbinding experience. So even though you're talking and stuff, you're still getting really concentrated. You may notice the signs of it. Sometimes nature just appears luminous or another human being, brilliant, beautiful, shining, your own mind shining. Wow. Oh, I think I've got it now. This is what happens. It's a natural progression of the mind, of the heart, because the diminishing of the noise leads to an intimacy with experience because the noise was between you and the world. You were seeing the world through the noise of, you know, a frantic, grasping heart, just like the rest of our culture, the rest of our world. And the calming of the noise, just like the calming of the surface of a pond, means you can see what's underneath. You can see what's right in front of you. You can touch, you can touch your own mind, your own heart, because the mind is calmed, the surface is clear. You can be with another in that kind of unconstructed intimacy where there's just nothing in the way. But it's temporary. It's temporary. It's just states. And they're beautiful. But what matters is exactly what we're talking about here. It's the wisdom. Because you see, with that clarity, the nature, the suffering of the grasping. You see the tightness, the wound up quality of that uh, constant self-referencing habit mind. And you say, this is the turning, pay attention. And you say, this will never work. This is never going to lead to happiness. And you see it. And you say, but wow, I sure feel beautiful now. And look, everyone else is beautiful too. And that's just from being simple and clear. And all of this stuff of the noise and the gripping, it's like, ugh. And the ugh is visceral, right? You're just, ugh. Sort of like snot, right? It's like, it's like, ah. And you turn towards the beauty. You turn towards the simplicity, the clarity. 
It's not that big a deal, right? But it is. That's the prototype of wisdom. That's the prototype of freedom. Do you see that? It's the same move, just more and more subtle. If we were on retreat together for another few months, you know, whatever you've touched that has seemed subtle would seem gross by comparison to what you might touch if that was a productive retreat. I don't know. But the mind can get quieter, it can see more, and it can let go in this more subtle way. So the states will pass, but the wisdom, the wisdom can become a part of the weave of how you are in the world, how you function, how you see the world, how you act, how you live. So it has an effect, right? And that's gold. For one thing, it immediately has the potential to change your behavior which means you might be nicer or you might make better decisions about something. Stuff like that. But it's part of a cycle. That's the effect, the long-term effectiveness, not just these little outliers. The long-term effectiveness is that in this turning, in this refinement, the letting go of the old addictions, the self-obsessions and all this stuff, and the turning towards the, you know, the beauty, the simplicity, the letting go, the renunciation, the more subtle happiness, further refines the mind. And so next time around, which might be tomorrow, or a week from now, or it might be at your next retreat, whatever you want to say by, you know, when you take your next sample. Now, a more subtle observing, an observation of more subtle addictions and obsessions. Sorry, they're still there. I don't know if you thought you'd gotten rid of all of them. I certainly haven't, and a more subtle turning, and the process goes on, right? So we see here something of a trajectory, a direction. That direction direction of the mind is the, what the Buddha called sankapo, or intention, the orientation of the heart, the kind of emotional pull or orientation of one's life.
now we can speak about that fourth noble truth, the Eightfold Path. Because the Eightfold Path is all about that refinement process. And the meeting of that uh, aspiration, that intention of going that, you know, yeah, that's, that's right. I can touch now in the clarity of my retreat and, uh, you know, have this sense of excitement about, wow, what is possible? This is possible. This is amazing. But where does it meet the actualities of our lives, right? That's a good question. It's a completely good question. And that's what the, that's the fourth noble truth is an answer to that question. It's the how. So the first factor of the path, this right view, is wisdom itself. But if we understand this cyclical nature, this refining process of the path, that that wisdom can be very basic, you know, like making somewhat better decisions about, let's say, our friendships or about our particular addictions or what have you. And it can also get more refined, but no matter where we start, it's the understanding that's not going to work. This is, you know, the turning then is the right intention, the second factor of the path. And now there's the refining fire of how we act in the world. Right speech, right action, right livelihood. So if we understand that that's part, that these three things, even though they sound very worldly, they are actually bridging completely the worldliness, because they are just as worldly as they sound, you know, don't gossip, speak the truth, speak what's useful, don't say what's not useful, you know, don't speak divisively, crudely, and so on. Very straightforward stuff. And likewise with right action, stealing and uh, intoxications and sexual activity and all that kind of stuff. Very earthy. And li likewise, livelihood. Wow. You mean the Buddha talked about my job? Well, why? Well, duh, because you spend eight to ten hours a day doing it. And you don't think that's going to pattern your mind a lot more than 20 minutes a day of meditation? Get real. So, you know, very practical statement here. But it's not off this same trajectory of freedom. It's not, it's not a separate thing. It's not like wisdom and freedom are separate from this worldly life. So how does my speech, how do my relationships manifest or not manifest the aspiration, the intention, the pull of my heart? If I just go by social habit, well then, of course, the collections of friendships I had when I was addicted to alcohol, let's say, if I turn towards non-addiction and keep the same friendships, what, what do you think is going to happen? It's a classic, isn't it? Just go right back because you have all of the conditioning 
and all of the support to go back to suffering and pain and ignorance to hell. So, to honor the turning, changes happen. Now, do we have the resolve, the courage to make those changes? One of the things about the path being explicit is that we're naming it. So you can actually think about this. It doesn't have to be habitual. We can think about our friendships. We can think about our livelihood. We can give some thought now, how does the level of morality or speech that I'm engaging in really fit the insights and the aspirations I've touched in the subtlety of my heart? See why it's so important to pay attention to what you're experiencing? Why it's important to reflect on where you've touched wisdom? Don't ignore it. Touch it. Let it be alive. Because the patterns that you're going back to are still there, all of them. It's not like you went away for a week and everybody went on retreat. It's funny, but... It's true. You know, you sit yourself down in that same old seat where you sat at your computer before and the state-dependent learning of internet ignorance is there waiting for you. And so is your calendar. So are, so is your how you handle your checkbook, all those habits. So the sila factors of the path are part of that trajectory of freedom. Nothing is separate. And we come to these three path factors of right effort, mindfulness, and concentration. And what we're talking about here is the refining of the heart, the refining of the mind in a very direct way. And all the ways you, we do that, not just meditation. When we talk about mindfulness and concentration, we're mostly talking about meditation, not entirely. It's, it is much wider than that, but it, that's the core of it. But right effort is vastly wider than that. All of the ways that we turn towards and develop and release and so on. Psychological patterns, life habit patterns, the, as we said, out with the bad, in with the good. All the ways we do out with the bad, in with the good is right effort. But by naming it, by understanding its place on this whole trajectory of freedom, we can be intentional in supporting it, in meeting it, in keeping it alive. We don't have to slip into habit. It's one of the advantages of, you know, having a kind of a system like the Buddhist system of thought. It's not true. There's nothing that's like true. It's serving. It's useful. 
It's another construct, but it's a brilliant, brilliant construct to meet the cyclical and very clever tendencies of the mind to fool itself again, to cloud itself again. That's what we have, is some support in the face of that, in the face of a culture that goes for sure towards acquisitiveness and pain, towards hatred and divisiveness. So to demonstrate again this nature of ever refining as at a certain level of releasing addictions, changing how we live, and then coming back to refining the mind, the mindfulness and concentration that we touch helps us see more clearly the nature of experience, which then feeds back to how we see the world to we see more subtly, because there's a higher level of concentration and mindfulness, we see more subtly the delusions, confusions, and habits. We see more subtly the beauty that's possible, and the release happens again, and now there's another layer, another more subtle aspect of the move towards freedom. And so it goes. It might be controversial to speak about the ending of that process. The genuine cessation of the whole construction project of self and world. But perhaps it's good to be confronted by that too. To let the heart be challenged by how far this goes. To let the mind be enticed by even imagining into the vastness of a completely unfettered mind. Keeps us humble, perhaps. Perhaps inspires us. but it's worth looking at, keeping the heart open to what is beyond mundane reckoning.
but we know that the trajectory runs right through this point where each of us sits. Perhaps like me, you find that very beautiful and hopeful. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.